Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.30 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 23rd day of Spooktober 2023. This is episode 813 of Bitcoin and it's the unlucky number show for Spooktober. Maybe it'll be good. I don't know. I don't know. We spent uh, last night carving pumpkins and I just thought I'd relate that one of the pumpkins, my son suggested that we uh, carve a pumpkin that represents the Karen. You know, you know what the Karen is, the Karen that's always complaining, the Karen with the bird's nest haircut, the Karen that may or may not be a realtor on the side. Yeah, that Karen. Of course, because it's a pumpkin for, you know, Halloween, we instantly renamed it Scarin. So all the Karens out there for October should actually be renamed to Scarens because honestly, they are some pretty damn frightening people when you get right down to it. Honestly, it's weird. But, 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 oh, I still got the music going. Hmm. Oh, well, well, it won't show up in the, uh, in the regular show, but let's just cut that off right there. We go. Cut that, cut that music off for my good guys over in zap.stream. Uh, I do stream these things live on zap.stream. Uh, maybe one of these days I'll add Twitch or something like that. Still kind of getting used to the workflow of making sure that certain things are on and certain things are off. And like, for instance, I was just streaming music while I was talking at the intro of the show. Bad host, bad host. But again, trying to get used to all these things that that you need that you need to get used to. Uh, hold on for a second. Let me make sure I get back over here. And here we go. Now. We're going to start straight up with some shit coinery, right? I know you're waiting for it. I know you love it. Here it is. Worldcoin. Yeah, Sam Altman. Yeah, his outfit, Worldcoin. They're going to stop paying their orb operators in USDC as early as November and force them to, to accept their own shitty currency, which they printed from thin air. Worldcoin is set to begin paying its orb operators with its native world coin token phasing out USD coin as early as next month according to the October 22nd announcement Worldcoin says orb operators independent ecosystem participants tasked with scanning people's irises in exchange for WLD tokens will cease to be paid in USDC as of November the change will affect most jurisdictions Worldcoin said that the move to pay orb operators entirely in its own shitcoin was part of a transitional phase. Following the official launch of the project on July the 24th, on October the 10th, the Worldcoin Foundation kicked off a pilot program to grant select operators with payment in WLD shitcoinery. Yes, sir. In November 2023, the Worldcoin Foundation expects that the transition process will be completed such that all operators will receive our worthless ass shitcoin going forward. And that's a direct quote. No, actually, they didn't say worthless ass shitcoin. They're never going to you know, degrade their own dog food. But honestly, it's a shitcoin. In the blog post, Worldcoin noted that the Worldcoin tokens are currently not available to people or companies who are living in the United States, as well as certain other restricted territories. Data from WorldCoin's official Dune Analytics dashboard shows that the supply of the WLD token has grown from approximately 100 million at the time of launch to 134 million at the time of publication. Pausing to note, dude, that's a 33% or actually a straight up 34% increase in the supply. Just, you know, straight up there. We started with hundred million and they printed another 34. Where do you think this shit's going to go? Where do you think it's going to go? 
Of the roughly 134 million WLD tokens issued so far, 100 million were distributed as loans to market makers, while the remaining 34 million were given out to ORB operators and new users in the form of, quote, free user grants, end quote. According to WorldCoin, a total of five market-making entities received the 100 million WLD tokens, which were due to expire October the 24th, 2023. That would be tomorrow. However, WorldCoin said that it would extend the expiration date of these loans to December the 15th, with a reduced amount of 75 million WLD tokens. Quote, The market makers will return or alternatively purchase some or all of the remaining 25 million as part of the agreement, read the announcement. The price of WorldCoin's native WLD token has regained slightly in recent weeks following a somewhat prolonged post-launch slump. World uh, Coin reached an all-time high of $2.65 on July the 27th before falling 63% to go down as low as 97 cents on September the 13th. It's currently changing hands at $1.64 United, well, well, $1.64, according to the U.S. dollar, according to data from TradingView. So, loans. This is the first I've heard of this. This is the first I've heard that they that their first 100 million WLD tokens were, were parsed out as loans to five separate market makers. How much you want to bet all of them are attached to the still ongoing devastation of the crypto markets because of bad actors, general hubris, ultimate greed. This does not end well. The world coin does not end well at all. You should never have gotten your iris scanned. And if you're thinking about doing it, don't because it's not going to be worth your time later. They just want your iris data. That's all they want. They they are literally not banking on WorldCoin going to the moon to get their money. They're not doing that. They're enticing you with a straight up shit coin so that you will do something stupid like scan your iris data. That's biometry. And you don't want to have any part of it if you can get away from it. That's why, like, when I opened up my iPhone, I had never used face scan. I've never allowed that shit to happen. And I do not use my thumbprint, even though that we all know that they probably already have my thumbprint and all my fingerprints because I've been, I use my, I touch, touch my screen. So I just assume that it's already taken, but at least I have a choice or made a conscious choice not to use it when, when I open my phone. So if they if they took my biometric data, they stole it from me without my permission. At least I'll be able to say that, not that it's going to be worth that much. But just think about it. They've already printed 34% of the supply. They started with 100 million. Now they got 134. And it turns out that the first 100 million are all in loans to quote unquote market makers. Again, ladies and gentlemen, There's no way this ends anything other than very, very poorly. Now, let's take a break from shitcoinery and talk about some Latin American presidents. Argentina is going to go into a runoff election. Check it out, man. Bitcoin Magazine, Reed McDonald writing, Argentina's pro-Bitcoin presidential candidate Javier Millet forces a runoff election in a surprising twist. In Argentina's presidential election, pro-Bitcoin candidate Javier Gerardo Millet has emerged as a formidable contender, forcing a runoff election against current economy minister Sergio Massa after the very first round of voting. Javier Millet, libertarian economist who has vowed to shut down the nation's central bank and expressed support for Bitcoin, managed to secure 31.2% of the vote a remarkable achievement for a candidate with limited prior political exposure. Malay's passionate advocacy for economic reform has resonated with a significant portion of the electorate. In August, Malay won the most votes in the country's primary election, a fact owed to the nation's ongoing economic crisis. In past remarks, Malay said that he will address Argentina's chronic economic woes, a message struck a chord with disillusioned voters. 
Argentina's annual inflation rate was 124.4% in August, its highest level since 1991. The upcoming runoff election slated for November 19th will see Malay face off against Sergio Massa, who secured 46.7% of the vote in the first round, but missed the majority threshold needed to claim victory outright. In order to win outright, either candidate would have needed to claim 40% of the vote and to lead his political opponent by 10% of the vote owing to the election rules. The outcome of the runoff could have a profound impact on Argentina's economic policies and its role in the global cryptocurrency landscape. Investors and crypto enthusiasts worldwide are closely watching this electoral showdown, anticipating its potential implications on the adoption of Bitcoin and whether the nation could follow El Salvador's landmark legal tender law, which in 2021 made the cryptocurrency a payment method across the country. Yeah, I wouldn't bet on it, but here's what I would bet on. I would actually bet on Malay's opponent winning the election because Malay's opponent winning the election is saying exactly what the uh, World Economic Forum and the International Monetary Fund wants him to wants him to say. CBDC wants a, a digital peso, and that's going to fix everything because they'll be able to collect taxes. I brought this shit to you on Friday, right? They're thinking that because they can have a digital peso, it'll be easier to track. And of course, if it's easier to track, it's easier to collect taxes from, right? Right? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, okay. Uh, no, that is just nonsensical because there's no, there's no construction that limits the government, the government of Argentina. It, there's no limitation to how much they can actually print. It solves nothing. It solves nothing. But it will keep them under the thumb of the World Economic Foundation, the IMF, World Bank, you name it, you know, or WEF, the World Economic Forum, sorry, not Foundation, World Economic Forum, all of those guys. They want them to be dependent on their loans. They want Argentina to be forever dependent, forever a slave country, like all the rest of Latin America. And that means that they're going to support him. And it, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. I don't know what their election laws are in Argentina. But if they can figure out a way to throw their considerable weight behind Massa, they are going to do it. They're going to advertise for him. They're going to write articles about him. They're going to call you know uh, Malay just a complete asshole. And he may be. I don't know anything about Malay. I don't live in Argentina. Right? The only thing that I know about him is that at one point or another, he said that, you know, Bitcoin's kind of a good deal and all the Bitcoiners, we all lost our collective freaking shit. Yay, yay, Malay, he's going to be the savior of Argentina. I kind of doubt it. He wants to dollarize the country and we went through that on Friday too. That's not really going to help them. It'll help them better than a digital peso. That's for damn sure. But it's not going to solve their economic woes. They're still going to be up shit creek without a paddle. But... The fact that Malay has forced a runoff election in Argentina in some ways is good news because at least, at least there's something effective about the way that they're running their elections that actually lets crazy ideas occur because he wants to just end the central bank. Again, that is the enemy of the IMF, the WEF, the World Bank, the ECB, Federal Reserve, you name it. That guy's the enemy, and they will find a way to throw their considerable weight behind Malay's opponent. Do I wish either one of them to win? I'm not. Ta- I, I I I don't have a dog in this hunt, so therefore it doesn't really matter to me. I could say that I hope Malay gets it because he's a Bitcoiner, but I kind of think he's just paying lip service to the crew. Now, very close, but a different country altogether. We have Bukele. This is interesting. Bitcoin Magazine, Jamie or Jaime Garcia, if he pronounces his name that way. Otherwise, it's Jamie. Bukele is likely to step down as the president to seek a second term. Are you confused by that sentence? Are you, are you, are you confused by that sentence? Because I was. 
This is very odd. This is when you start peeling back the layers of uh, the way other countries' constitutions work. Check this shit out. It's not what you might think. In recent weeks, the Salvadoran media has been abuzz with speculation that Bitcoin country president Nayib Bukele will step down from his current role to pursue a second term in office. This move hinges on obtaining a special license from the Salvadoran Legislative Assembly, a process that requires three-quarters approval from the body. Previously, it was widely believed that Salvadoran presidents were limited to a single five-year term. However, a landmark Supreme Court ruling has opened the door to the possibility of a second term, provided, and here it is, a second term provided that the incumbent stepped down at least six months before the next presidential term commences on June 1st, 2024. The constitutional framework. The Supreme Court's ruling introduced a nuanced framework for seeking a second presidential mandate in El Salvador. It stipulated that a candidate can serve a maximum of two terms within a 10-year period, but crucially, they cannot hold the presidency and campaign simultaneously. This unique provision is designed to ensure that a candidate must humble themselves to the status of a citizen without a position of power within the government. This safeguards against the misuse of state resources for campaign purposes, an issue that has plagued many democracies around the world, pausing to say at least somebody's got their their collective shit about them. Now, does it mean that this solves all problems? No. Does it also mean that it can't, that there's something that I'm not seeing here or that I am completely unaware of the impetus behind what sounds like a damn good idea? No, man, I could be completely wrong. I could be completely missing something here, but it seems to me that if you require a president to step down so that He has to literally do it all over again without being a sitting president. That seems to make sense. It makes sense to me. But again, I am very wary that there may be something that I'm missing here. Could be, don't know yet. But there's a race against time. As of now, President Bukele has not yet registered as a candidate for the upcoming elections. The Supreme Electoral Tribunal has set a deadline of October the 26th, 2023, for presidential candidates to submit their registrations. However, it is increasingly likely that Bukele will need to step away from the presidency in order to meet this crucial deadline. This adds a layer, an extra layer, of complexity to an already intricate political process. In a recent press conference, Bukele indicated that he would register as a candidate on October the 24th or earlier, but definitely before the deadline and according to the law. What is unclear is whether he will step down before registering or not, and there may be two options for Bukele. One, to step down from the presidency before the October 26th deadline and register as a candidate, or two, register as a candidate while still in the presidency by October the 26th deadline and step down later to meet the constitutional requirement. This scenario is only viable assuming that the Supreme Elections Tribunal would rule that Bukele's candidacy is provisional, provided that he does not campaign until he actually steps down, which must happen by November the 30th. The implications. Well, this development carries significant implications, particularly for the Bitcoin project in El Salvador, a flagship initiative of Bukele's administration. Additionally, it holds paramount importance for Salvadorans who have experienced notable gains in terms of security and overall improvements in their country. The upcoming elections, scheduled for February the 4th, 2024, will undoubtedly shape the future trajectory of the country. President Bukele enjoys a staggering approval rating of over 90%, making him the clear frontrunner in the upcoming elections. However, not everyone agrees with his bid for a second term. Detractors and members of the political opposition argue that the Supreme Court ruling that enabled his candidacy is unconstitutional. This dissent has sparked heated debates on the legality and ethical implications of his potential second term. As the presidential electoral campaign officially kicked off on October the 3rd, 2023, all eyes are on Bukele and his next move. When he decides to temporarily vacate his post to seek a second term, The question of who 
will step in as interim president becomes vital. Both local and international observers will closely monitor the transition period. The political landscape in El Salvador is undergoing a seismic shift as President Bukele readies himself for a bid for a second term. The Supreme Court ruling, the electoral deadlines, and the intricacies of Salvadoran politics coverage in this pivotal moment. The outcome of these events will not only shape the future of El Salvador, but will also have far-reaching implications for the region and beyond. As the nation stands at the precipice of this historic juncture, the eyes of the world remain fixed on Bitcoin country. (coughs) There's a lot more at stake than just Bitcoin, y'all. And again, I've said it before. I, I don't know if I actually agree with the way Bukele has gone about taking care of the crime in the country, which sounds fucking ridiculous, right? That, I mean, of course you don't want crime in your country. But honestly, if what he did was done in the United States, while, while it would help up here too, it would be in direct violation of several items in the Constitution, as well as the actual Bill of Rights itself and possibly amendments thereafter. But be that as it may, you know, El Salvador is not the United States. However, they do still have a constitution. And it's kind of clear that Bukele may very well have overstepped his uh, power in doing what he has done. But the problem is that it seems to have been a solution. uh, He's gotten rid of so much crime. He's almost completely reversed that country's course. But he's done it in a way that is almost dictatorial. And that is always, I don't know, it's, it's, you need to really take a look at what it means. What, what could possibly come out the other side of this? If Bukele gets in like another five-year term. I, I mean, you see what I'm saying? We think that he's a good Joe. We think he's doing the things that is necessary for his country to survive and thrive and be better and better and better. But what if he just turns out to be just another fucking dictator? Just another banana Republic dictator. I really hope that that doesn't happen. That's why I watch El Salvador above all Latin American countries. I watch El Salvador like a hawk. Because he's instituted Bitcoin as legal tender. He's pretty much eradicated all crime. I mean, sure, shit's going to, you know, still going to occur in El Salvador, but not like it was, man. Not like it was. It's and the interim president. Who steps in? What power will an interim president have? Will an interim president be able to just completely undo everything Bukele has already done? And even if Bukele wins a second term, will he have the time to be able to put it all back together again. And even more so, will he? I don't know, man. These are El Salvador. This is a historic juncture for El Salvador. Usually shit like that's hyperbole, but with all this stuff that's going on and the fact that El Salvador geographically sits right in between the North American section of Latin America and the South American section of Latin America is it's a critical geographical location. I they have everything to gain. This this election I think is actually more important than the United States presidential election because we know we're just going to get a steaming pile of trash no matter which way it goes. Speaking of trash, they took out the trash over there at Reddit. Well, I guess <laughs> we'll figure out what uh, is actually going on from Prussian Jaw out of Coin Telegraph. Reddit removes moderators involved in the alleged insider trading of moon tokens. Reddit's R cryptocurrency community has fired two moderators who were found to be involved in insider trading of the moon token. Cointelegraph has confirmed. As Cointelegraph reported on October the 20th, at least three wallets linked to Reddit group moderators dumped hundreds of thousands of dollars of moon token on October the 18th, just minutes before the official announcement of the closure of the blockchain-based points program that involved the use of certain cryptocurrencies native to each and every community. The market dump by the three wallets was highlighted by on-chain analysis accounts on Twitter, such as LookOnChain. 
the Reddit moderators were made aware of the closure of the blockchain-based points program an hour earlier than the official announcement. The Reddit announcement caused the token to drop by nearly 85% to 1.9 United States pennies. It's even worth less than freaking Dogecoin. But two moderators managed to sell just in time to make more gains than the rest of the unaware community. Cointelegraph reached out to our cryptocurrency to understand the insider trading allegations and how the investigations went through. The user known as Mellon, a core contributor and Moondust founder, told Cointelegraph that two moderators were removed while three others are being investigated. Quote, two mods got removed as they sold their moons before the official announcement from Reddit. End quote. The program allowed participants on the platform to earn points and spend them using community native crypto tokens such as Moon. In the R Cryptocurrency subreddit, users who post or leave comments are given the ERC20 token Moon, which they can freely exchange, tip, or use for other purposes in the community. Yeah, well, not anymore. I mean, it's like, and I didn't even realize, I mean, I thought the Moon token was for all of Reddit. I had no idea that every single Reddit sub-community could spin up their own token. How many shit coins did that create? Honestly, it's just, it's mind-boggling. But according to this, the two moderators that obviously sold their shit when they had knowledge and nobody else did has been removed. So I guess kudos to the crypto, our cryptocurrency subreddit. I don't know. I don't hang around Reddit all that much. So I honestly, I honestly don't care except for the fact that the sheer amount of shit coinery that's going on on Reddit was absolute is absolutely eye-watering and i completely missed i thought they were all moon token but apparently that's not the case but whatever it doesn't matter because almost all bitcoin mining stocks have outpaced bitcoin this year nevesh rustgi from decrypt the year to date returns on all mining stocks except for two have far outpaced Bitcoin's rise of 84.61% per coin gecko data. The two underperforming mining firms, Argo Blockchain and TerraWolf. Still, the average return of the top 11 public mining companies this year is more than double that of Bitcoin, standing at 148.59%. Marathon Digital Holdings and Cypher Mining led the gains with 120 and 356% year-to-date gains, respectively. Good Lord. The mining stocks have exhibited a higher beta over Bitcoin. The higher beta signifies increased volatility and a tendency to move with a greater magnitude in the same direction as the market or benchmark index, in this case, Bitcoin. For example, during the first half of what was a bullish start of the year for BTC, mining stocks frequently outperformed Bitcoin during positive rallies. Similarly, during Bitcoin's downfall in the third quarter, the majority of the mining stocks retraced by an average of 50% compared to Bitcoin's price drop of around 10%. Besides enjoying a higher beta over the price, mining stocks have also benefited from the increase in Bitcoin mining revenue due to the increased use of God knows ordinals. Uh, quote, they've ushered in something of an NFT market on the Bitcoin blockchain. Rich Rines, an initial, an initial contributor to CoreDAO, told Decrypt that after facing significant challenges in 2022, the mining companies are taking advantage of renewed Bitcoin excitement and market performance. He added that new use cases such as ordinals, inscriptions, and BRC20 tokens are increasingly or increasing the profitability and demand for mining. Anthony Power, mining analyst at mining firm Compass Mining, wrote in a recent report that public miners saw increased production and greater mining revenues in September thanks to an increase in Bitcoin's price and a temporary negative adjustment in mining difficulty. Since the start of the year, the network's hash rate has hash rate and consequently its difficulty has steadily risen despite the ongoing bear market. In fact, The mining difficulty made a new all-time high yesterday. Charles Edwards, founder of Captrial Investments, recently tweeted that the recent rise in hash rate is a step change in mining industrialization, suggesting that energy companies and governments are here. 
Public miners have also been selling a significant portion of their newly produced Bitcoin, Powers Report shows. He wrote that miners are currently using a strategy of selling a large proportion of their mined Bitcoin to pay for capital growth and operational costs. Mining firms are now turning their attention to the halving event slated for next year, buying up additional machines and increasing their computational power. Per Coinwares, the halving is expected to occur by the end of April. Cordal's Rhines told Decrypt that miners can likely benefit from the initial excitement around having as a critical milestone, however, eventually these must also face the reality that their rewards will be abruptly cut in half and their business models will be tested yet again. He added that the performance of mining companies will depend on Bitcoin's price leading up to the halving and preparation of individual miners from a financial and operational perspective. Popular trader, uh, crypto trader Oliver L. Velez, on the other hand, is bearish on mining stocks leading up to the halving and expects underperformance to continue for several months after due to the reduction in rewards, he told Decrypt. Velez added that if Bitcoin doesn't hit 65000 before the halving, less efficient miners might capitulate or risk being taken over by more efficient ones. Now, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I'm not sure about the 65000 number. And even if that is the correct number, I'm not sure that we'll we'll hit it. I, it'd be nice, I guess, right? It'd be nice. But what's really going on here is why are mining companies outpacing the actual Bitcoin price? I have a theory. Would you like to hear it? Yes, of course you do. <laughs> My theory is that because mining stocks are indeed stocks, then institutions that are not allowed to hold Bitcoin as an underlying asset because we do not have a spot Bitcoin ETF yet. They can buy mining stocks. This is just signaling to me that retail wants exposure to Bitcoin and they're going to get exposure to Bitcoin in any way that they can. Now, what happens if the Bitcoin ETF if we get a Bitcoin ETF or all of them or or like a good basket of them and then the others that, that don't get approved first round get approved later on down the line. Well, now institutions don't have to buy the mining stocks to get exposure to Bitcoin. They can just buy the underlying asset, which means there'll be less buy pressure on the actual Bitcoin mining stocks. And, and if that price does not start screaming past 65, you will see mining capitulation in that space. These guys are running on razor thin margins. They're like grocery stores. Like Walmart does sub 1% margins for all of their stores. It used to be 1%. For every dollar they sold, they got to keep one penny. But because they sold so damn much, you know, it's this giant corporation. Not so with Bitcoin mining. Their margins are also razor thin. And they're about to get their shit cut in half. If we get an ETF, that pressure is going to be on the miners. A direct Bitcoin spot ETF will add to a problem that the miners already have. And that is razor thin margins, high capital expenditures, and overall operations. They're not cheap to run. All right. Your CapEx is one thing, but your operational expenditure that's another one. So it's a weird, it's going to be a weird mix and we're going to have to see what the hell happens. But in the meantime, we're going to run numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. Damn boy. Oil is just getting wiped. This is getting the floor wiped with the oil. This morning, man, West Texas Intermediate is down 2.62% to $85.77. Brent North Sea is down 2.3% to $90.03. Natural gas, however, gained by three quarters of a point, $2.92 per thousand. Gasoline is down almost a two full points, uh, $2.32 per gallon. Now, why is oil down? Because Israel has decided to, quote unquote, hold off on a flat ass ground invasion 
of the entirety of Gaza, hoping for a diplomatic solution so that, quote-unquote, and I'm doing that a lot, that the wider region isn't enveloped in an all-out Mideast war, which would definitely disrupt oil supplies for the entirety of the world. That's why oil is down today, just so you know. Gold, down. Uh, back below 2000 lost a third of a point to 1987 and 60 cents. Silver is down 1.14% to 2323. Platinum is up scant. Copper is up 0.69%. Palladium is up two and a quarter today. Ag is mostly in the green today. Biggest winner, sugar, two and a half to the upside. Biggest loser is lumber, 1.3% to the downside. Live cattle is down, wow, down 3.22%. Lean hogs are up three, uh, three quarters of a percent. And feeder cattle, are down two and a third. Wow. The Dow is up slightly, 0.14% to the upside. S&P is up a half point. NASDAQ is up over a full point. And the S&P mini is up a tenth of one point. Uh, bonds, it looks like we're getting some yield uh, relief on most of the, the heavier bonds, like the 30-year, uh, 20-year, 10-year, 7, 5. They're all down in yields today, which means their face value has gone up. So people that are holding bonds like banks and whatnot as an archive of wealth that they can draw on aren't sweating bullets so far today, but they probably will because I don't think this shit is under control by any stretch of the imagination. The dollar index for your information is at 105.67. That is after a half point loss in the index. Real money chilling out at $30,960. Uh, average transaction values are half a Bitcoin median transaction values are 250 bucks. Block times are seriously low. Nine minutes, zero seconds. We've got 0.08 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 13.6 in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. And with a 0.66% rise in hash rate, we're up to 461.3 exahashes per second. And Doge, your shitcoin indicator Apparently, some of the altcoins are rallying because Doge is at 6.4 United States pennies. I don't, that do not buy Doge, please. For the love of God. $610.4 billion. That's the market cap of Bitcoin today. And that is 4.61% of gold's entire market cap. And now you can get just under. 16 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,521,793 of and 5,216 of those are in the Lightning Network, now valued at $163.2 million. 14,670 nodes, 63,053 payment channels that we know about, and 83.6 of all of this is being run over Tor. Now, mempool. What, what, what are mempools doing? Mempools look like they're a little congested, about 108 blocks carrying 26,668 transactions waiting to clear. Transactions are going to cost you 14 Satoshis per V-byte. High priority, low priority is nine. Anything under two Satoshis per V-byte, you're going to get wasted, blasted, launched out of mempools around the world. And what does mining have to say here? Well, mempool.space's mining, uh, their hash rate number is at 492.9 exahashes per second, ladies and gentlemen. We are very close to topping out at 500 exahashes per second. Holy smokes. Now, I'm still on the charts, getting way down there, though. But because my friends like Fatoshi are here, I'm still in the top 10. 21,221 says... I wish it were just up to me. But then again, what kind of messed up world would that be? <laughs> Pies with 2,000. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. Axelrod with 1,000 says, thank you for the DXY dollar index slash BTC hybrid tutorial. My thought, excuse me, my thought was if BTC was included in the basket of top world fiats, I believe it's a weighted basket based on market cap for each fiat and then see how BTC value relates to that hybrid denominator versus how USD relates to the same denominator. Just for shits and giggles. Appreciate the mental gymnastics. Cheers. Yeah, that one, I, now I know exactly what you're talking about. So include Bitcoin as one of the currencies represented in the full basket of currencies 
that the DXY actually represents. I I hear what you're saying. And that one, that one I don't know how to do. I, I, I guess I guess I could find all of the currencies that are in that basket. But honestly, the, at that point, the mental gymnastics, I don't think is worth it for anybody. But I totally hear what you're saying. You never know. Somebody may come up with something. And if you do, make sure that you give me a boostagram and tell us about it here. Yegro with 812 says, thanks for the heads up on the lightning loophole. God's death with 370 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And pipe bomb with 100 says, thank you, sir. And I will bury my head in the sand about the lightning issue. I will just wake up and use it without thought. Yes. And Peter Todd has a potential idea. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. And that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Here's the Peter Todd thing. As promised, here's the Peter Todd thing. It's not long. We're going to talk about it more than we're going to read it. Uh, He has an entire, like, on, on the linuxfoundation.org there's an entire thing but I'm not going to read it all because he does give a TLDR so Peter Todd one of the uh, has been and I think still is a core Bitcoin developer uh, been around for a very long time very pretty smart individual he sometimes can get into you know areas where people Definitely disagree with his ideas, but honestly, he's he's an honest guy, and that's one of the things that I appreciate most about Peter Todd. And he's got an idea about this whole lightning bug that scared everybody to death over the weekend. And I don't honestly think anybody should be scared to death. It's not that easy of an exploit to execute, and you're really not going to get away with that much, but it is there. And it does need to be somehow or another addressed. And Peter Todd's got a decent idea, at least I think so. Making HTLCs safer by letting transactions expire safely. This is a, basically it's op underscore expire. And that's sort of the op code that I think he's talking about. The TLDR, this proposal would fix the recent lightning exploit Antoine found by making disabling the pre-image branch of HTLCs once the timeout is reached. Traditionally, we've been dubious about making it possible for transactions to become invalid in the future, but in the post, I argue that it is acceptable if we treat them similar to Coinbase outputs, preventing outputs that may expire from being spent until they have 100 confirmations. What what is he talking about? He's okay. The, so like when you open up a lightning channel with somebody, you're doing an on-chain transaction and creating an HTLC, a hash time lock contract, right? <clears throat> when a miner wins a block, they get the block reward. However, they cannot do anything with that block reward because of a smart contract for 100 blocks. They have to wait. It's a cool down period. You know, it's like, and it makes a lot of sense. What Peter's doing is he's taking that idea and he's saying, we need to apply this to the hash time lock contract that are generated every time somebody opens a channel. And that that, according to Peter, and again, this is very much above my pay grade, but according to Peter, will help mitigate the issue that I brought to you on Friday with that whole lightning thing. And it is it is a problem. It's called a recycling attack, something like that. And I won't get into the particulars because it is very involved. But know this, that attack, you got to be a sophisticated MFer to pull this thing off. And you also have to be like, if, if you're the one that's going to be attacked, you, I mean, you got to, somebody really wants to come after you. And even when they do, I'm not sure how much they can actually get. Now they can screw things up for you a little bit, but as actually stealing your Bitcoin, that ah, it doesn't seem at all clear. Now they can make sure that that's tied up, 
But again, they got you got to be in their sights. Now, LN Big, uh, a, uh, R, who is it? Um, I can't remember. There's there's a couple of really huge nodes. LN Big has a lot of them. And then there's a lot of other ones too. Now, those guys, they're the ones that really do have something to worry about because they're obvious targets. But you and me, man, nobody wants to come out. Nobody really gives a shit, honestly. And even if they did, they're not going to get much out of it. And I'm not going to lose my mind about it either. I mean, I can just, I'll, I, I just, I don't think everybody should be freaking the hell out like they like oh my god lightning's broken it's it's over it's over no that's all bullshit because there are people out there like peter todd who without having to do a whole lot of finagling has come up with a potential solution i don't know if op underscore expire is already a present op in bitcoin that is active if it doesn't exist at all then we're talking about the addition of this op into general Bitcoin core. And that will take a while. We we still need to watch this whole thing that's going on with lightning, but nobody needs to be freaking out about it. Please don't freak out about it. Okay. So now let's, uh, let's do this one. Bitcoin pioneer Hal Finney cannot be Satoshi Nakamoto. According to a new analysis by Jameson Lopp, who again is one of these cats that is fairly honest about stuff and he's not exactly stupid. But Braden Lindria, Cointelegraph, tells us all about it. Bitcoin pioneer Hal Finney was competing in a 10-mile race when Satoshi Nakamoto was responding to emails and transacting on Bitcoin, newly surfaced evidence has revealed. For years, it's been speculated that the late Hal Finney, a computer scientist, created Bitcoin. He was the first person beside Satoshi to download and run Bitcoin software and was the first recipient of Bitcoin. Finney, however, denied the theory until his passing in 2014. Jameson Lopp, a self-proclaimed cypherpunk and co-founder of Bitcoin custody firm Casa, doesn't believe the speculation either. In an October 21st blog post, Lopp shared new evidence that cast further doubt on the theory. Lop's key evidence revolves around a 10-mile race in Santa Barbara, California on Saturday, April 18th, 2009. According to the race data, Finney completed or competed in the Santa Barbara running company Chardonnay 10-miler and 5K, which started at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and finishing the race 78 minutes later. The race, however, coincides with time-stamped emails between Satoshi and one of the first Bitcoin developers, Mike Hearn. It turns out that early Bitcoin developer Mike Hearn was emailing back and forth with Satoshi during this time, explained Lop, referring to an archived emails that Hearn had publicly released in the past. Quote, what we can determine from all of this well, Satoshi sent the email to Mike at 9.16 a.m. Pacific time, two minutes before Hal crossed the finish line. Quote, for the hour and 18 minutes that Hal was running, we can be quite sure that he was not interacting with the computer, Lop added. Meanwhile, Lop highlighted on-chain data to further support his claim. Hearn's email showed that Nakamoto sent Hearn 32.5 Bitcoin in one transaction. Lop pointed to this transaction that took place on block 11,408, which was mined at 8.55 a.m. PST, 55 minutes into Hal Finney's race. Nakamoto confirmed this transaction in addition to another one involving 50 BTC in the 6.16 p.m. email, which Lop iterates took place while Finney was still running. Of course, that would probably be... Why would... Wait, hold on. That's not right, because all this shit occurred in the morning, and this says 6.16 p.m., and the race started at 8 a.m.? I don't know, something, it, it, the, either this is poorly researched, I don't know, but there's, there's, they're gonna have that, there's an issue with that. Meanwhile, analysis has also highlighted that Satoshi was working on code and posting on various forums during the time when Hal Finney's battle with amitrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS, had already affected his ability to use a keyboard. Lop cited an August 22, 2010 post from Hal Finney's wife, Fran Finney, who said the couple attended a 2010 Singularity Summit in San Francisco, 
on August the 14th through the 15th and that Finney's hard-fought battle with ALS slowed his typing from rapid-fire 120 words per minute to a sluggish finger peck. During the same time, Nakamoto performed four code check-ins and wrote 17 posts on various forums between August 14th and 15th, 2010, said Lopp. Lopp also noted several differences in Finney's reusable proofs of work code compared to the original Bitcoin client code. However, Lopp also acknowledged that there could be objections to the so-called evidence. Hearn published the emails in 2017, seven years ex post facto, and that it was around a time when other Bitcoiners lost trust in him over disagreements on how to scale Bitcoin. Finney could have also scripted the emails and transactions in advance, or there could have been more than one Satoshi Nakamoto, Lopp said. However, Lopp argues that Bitcoin's creation came from a single developer. Quote, In all my time researching Satoshi, I've yet to come across any evidence suggesting that it was a group. If it was a group, then they all operated on the same sleep schedule consistent across code commits, emails, and forum posts. End quote. Hal Finney unfortunately passed away in August 2014 as a result of complications to ALS. Of course he did. Um, you know, so what do you think? Does it even matter? I don't care who Satoshi Nakamoto is. I don't care if it was Hal Finney. I don't care if it was that Japanese guy that Time Magazine cornered outside of his house and thought he was Satoshi Nakamoto. I don't care about any of this. And I don't, I don't think it's a, a, a proper use of your neural energy to worry about who created this shit. It doesn't matter. It's created. It's done. It's not going away. The genie's out of the bottle. That's what's important. Who opened the bottle? I don't give a shit. All I know is that all of a sudden, there's hope for the future for billions of people living on this planet. Why does anything else matter? Why does anything else matter? It doesn't. It does not matter who Satoshi Nakamoto is. Why Jameson Lopp is wasting his time Trying to figure this out is beyond my comprehension. I'm sure the man has other fish to fry. Unless this is just a hobby for him. Like a forens- like maybe he's into forensics or something like that. In that case, yeah, I give him some props. But honestly, I've, I stopped listening to this shit years ago. But people still seem to think that it's important. Please believe me when I tell you that it's not important at all. Uh, we don't need that one. Okay, Relay integrates Lightning using Breeze SDK and Greenlight. This is NoBSBitcoin.com. Relay, a European non-custodial Bitcoin wallet with broker services, announced a Breeze SDK integration at Plan B conference in Lugano, Switzerland. Quote, as of now, you can sign up for the beta test for our non-custodial Relay Lightning wallet. In cooperation with the renowned Lightning startup Breeze, our goal is to harness the potential of the Lightning network. Lightning support will initially roll out as a closed invite-only beta program, slowly rolling out to full public access before the end of the year, or before the end of the quarter four of the year 2023. Starting early in 2024, Relay will expand the integration to direct purchasing through their broker services directly into their Lightning wallets. Though an innovation-only beta for now, Relay and their thousands of users will drive traffic to Lightning through Breeze. And we're thrilled, Breeze's Roy Scheinfeld said in a blog post, quote, Our collaboration with Breeze fortifies our position at the forefront of the Bitcoin revolution in Europe. Oh, here, it's suit speak. I think I'm supposed to do Somebody asked me if I would do this in true grit style. By integrating Bitcoin Lightning Wallet with the Breeze SDK, we are not only enhancing the user experience, but also also propelling Bitcoin's adoption as a daily transactional currency, Breeze CTO Adam was quoted as saying. So if you want to sign up for the Relay Beta, uh, you need to complete a form, and it's at subscriber, oh God, subscribepage.com? Really? You're using subscribepage.com? Anyway, all this shit will be in the show notes if you want it, or you could just Google Relay. Uh, it is spelled, by the way, uh, uh, Relay is spelled R-E-L-A-I, R-E-L-A-I, okay? Uh, if you want to get into the beta, but it's like, like I said, we don't need to be scared about this whole thing about lightning. We're moving on. Nothing's going to slow this down. 
There may be problems, there may be issues, but when haven't there been issues and problems? If we were to stop and drop what we're doing every single time there was a scare about Bitcoin or Lightning, we wouldn't have either system. There have always been problems. And it's people like Breeze and Relay and Greenlight and all the rest, and and Peter Todd that are, they'll figure it out. Why everything has to be perfect out of the box is, I think, one of the worst things to happen to Western culture ever. Nobody, nobody understands what it takes to actually get shit to work. There are always problems. And every problem has a solution when you have the tool set and you have the budget to work the tool set. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. But for those of you, and I, I've, I've decried BlockFi and lending programs many, many times, but I'm going to bring you this one because it's from Lend. And Lend is from Hoddle Hoddle a no KYC Bitcoin exchange. I've been talking about them for years. They've been around forever. They've been around since at least, HODL HODL's been around since before I got into the game in 2015. That's how long they've been around. So Lend by HODL HODL, a no KYC Bitcoin lending and borrowing tutorial. Okay. So they're going to, and it's BTC Sessions, and he's really good at his tutorials, but he's done a video on how to actually get this shit done. Lend by HODL HODL is a peer-to-peer no KYC lending and borrowing platform. Quote, explore the fascinating world of Bitcoin lending in this comprehensive tutorial video on HODL HODL announced BTC Sessions. Quote, discover how this peer-to-peer lending platform allows you to borrow Bitcoin and Tether or to become a lender to earn interest, all while maintaining your privacy with no KYC requirements. One standout feature is that your collateral is never rehypothecated, ensuring the security of your assets. Join us to learn step-by-step just how to make <clears throat> the most of this innovative platform and harness the power of your Bitcoin holdings like never before. Be very careful. Just because it's BTC Sessions... And it's in which a guy that I like, and it's also from Hoddle Hoddle, which is a company that I have a high degree of respect for. Do not think that that clears all problems. Lending is a risk on endeavor. There's no such thing as it being a risk-free rate of return. No matter what happens, you are indeed risking your Bitcoin. If I had to do this, I would probably do it through Hoddle Hoddle. BlockFi, you know, and here's the good thing in this this announcement. BTC Sessions said nothing about 10% yield, 20% yield. Oh, you're going to get rich tomorrow. Nothing. It's just, so we'll have to find out what are the yields. And if there's something like spectacular, the higher the yield, the more you probably should stay away from it. Like double digit yield, probably don't want to have nothing to do with it. Or is something to simply watch and not engage in and watch what happens to other people. And if they get rugged and you'll have to watch it for like a couple of years, right? To make sure that no, like that you're comfortable enough because none of these other people have got rugged. I don't expect Hoddle Hoddle to rug anybody, but it's always at the forefront of my mind of the possibility. I, again, I trust Hoddle Hoddle. They've been in the game for a long time. They've never acted in a way that was malicious that I am aware of. And I've been covering this space for a very long time now. So I, if you are interested in, if you've got some Bitcoin holdings and you're interested in the potential of yield, you could at least go look at what Lend by L-E-N-D by Hoddle Hoddle is doing and see if it's right for you. But I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying Go look. Maybe it's one of those things where it's like, look, but don't touch kind of thing. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do we even want to do this? No, this one's way too long. I might have to do it tomorrow. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All 
right. Dad says jokes. Just started my job as an executioner. I'll be heading there soon. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, if you want to support the show and I need your support, podcasting 2.0 is really the best way to do it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got a Patreon page. It's a uh, forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. And you can find it there if you want to deal in dirty fiat. But watching Satoshi stream into my lightning node because of the infrastructure provided by Adam Curry and the Bitcoin pod, or rather, sorry, the podcasting 2.0 ecosystem is so much more satisfying. There's just something about it. Your boostograms go through there. All of your stream Satoshis, through, no matter what podcasting 2.0 app that you use, it all comes directly to my node and I can see every, I can see all of it. And it's so humbling as well as fascinating to watch. And I don't get the kind of satisfaction from, you know, a monthly donor on Patreon. But I do need, I need more help. I really do. And I'm asking for your help. And if you can't do it monetarily, tell people about the show. And people have been doing that for me lately. I've been seeing that on Nostra a lot. And of course, I can't see anything on, on Twitter because I'm banned for life, but whatever. If you still have your hooks into Twitter and you can get my show over there, then take a screen. Here's what I'll do. You take a screenshot of the, of the actual post that you make on Twitter or any other social media and put that onto Noster and tag me. And I will turn it into a, like, I will, I will zap the note definitely, but I'll also like maybe turn, repost it and turn it into a, like put a boost tag on it so that a prism could be created. And then I can zap anybody else who's actually, you know, boosting that particular uh, repost uh, back over to Noster, right? Just so that it's like continuously churning. Because the thing that you, we don't seem to appreciate about Noster is that there is no algorithm. There, there, I, there, I mean, there's a little bit of an algorithm insofar as the people that are involved, but there's no straight up algorithm in Domus that shows who you should be following or, or you know, the top, you know, the the top posts and whatnot like that. And sure, other things do it, but I was listening to Adam Curry. On podcasting 2.0, his his, the, his podcast for podcasting 2.0, they him and his uh, partner talk about it all, uh, what they're doing in the ecosystem all the time. And one of the things that he, no, actually this was no agenda. Come to think of it, he was saying that <clears throat> that I think it was JB55 said that he got metrics back from the Apple Store, and it suggested that something like ninety percent of the people that download the app use it once and then never again. Adam was suggesting that that's because there is no algorithm. And it's not that I disagree with him, but it's not that I wholeheartedly say, yes, that's the thing. I do think that it it could be a factor, but we don't really want algorithms. I mean, and if we do get algorithms, then it needs to be an algorithm that I can select. And maybe I select the straight up, Twitter-like algorithm, or maybe I select an algorithm that doesn't do anything that Twitter does at all, or I have no algorithms whatsoever, as long as I have the choice, right? But if if those numbers are true, we've got a long way to go for Noster, which is to be expected. How long have we been into Bitcoin? I mean, Noster's really only been out in, in a usable format for like a little over a year. I mean, when I mean usable, I mean like being able to get to an app store, download a an app, and then just have it on your phone, right? That hasn't been since last December. Well, last what? Yeah, last December. So we've got a long way to go, and that's okay. All right. Uh, let's see, I got something here from Haroon. Oh, Haroon Kala says, and I'm in the uh, in the stream, the Zap stream. I'm reading the the uh, Haroon's um, statement here. Lop's article on Hal not being Satoshi, and he goes through the receipts. Okay. <clears throat> well, yes, but we've all you know. There's always been a theory that there was a group of people involved. Although I understand that Lop said he has no evidence that that is the case because they're all in one time zone. What if you're just working with your friends at work? You'd all be in the same time zone. 
for me, Lop's investigation doesn't persuade me one way or the other. And I think the reason that it's not persuasive is simply because I do not care. It doesn't change the temperature of the water in my bathtub at all. It doesn't change what I'm going to eat today. It doesn't do anything at all for me. And I guess it's because I'm just so apathetic about who the hell Satoshi Nakamoto is that I don't look into it very, very far, you know, very much farther. But for everything that he presented, there's, there can be a counter argument, a good counter argument. So take what, you know, in my opinion, I'm taking what, what Jameson Lopp says with a grain of salt. I like Jameson Lopp. Don't get me wrong, but I, A, I don't see the importance and B, I'm just not swayed either way that he either can't, that Hal Finney can't be Satoshi or that Hal Finney definitely is Satoshi. And again, I think the more important thing is, is that I don't care. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.